0: Good morning, everybody.
1: Good morning, Brent.
0: Hold on a second; I have to finish this one groove. Okay. Oh yeah, that felt good.
1: Whoa! Can't stop.
0: (laughs) It's Wednesday, and uh, ah, it it is. At at the risk of (laughs) quoting that commercial, it's Hump Day. I love that commercial.
1: Here we are dancing, having our coffee, and all I can think of is that line from Elf. Syrup in coffee? Why didn't I think of that?
0: <laughs> My favorite line is when he says, that's that's a very pretty dress. It's very purpley. I don't know why that one sticks with me.
1: Francisco. Francisco. Francisco.
0: <laughs> that one too, yeah. <laughs>
1: I oh, it's a favorite. not family favorite.
0: to do with instructional design, but uh, now I'm going to have to watch Elf out of season, and that's, you know, well, that's yeah. cool against that, right?
1: Well, it's it, it sort of out of season, out of context, he said, <laughs> bridging things. <Woo.
0: laughs> anyway. We can segue it into it, but hey, we've got some guests today, Chris. Who's hanging out with us?
1: We have, I'm going to move my hands as if I know where the heck everybody else is seeing them. But we made a comment that we feel like with the Brady Bunch today, at least what we can see with four people. So, according to what I see on the screen, we have Gus Prestura <laughs> and Balin. And I'm going to mess up the, the, the middle part of, is it Bilgic? What is that what we. For me? It's right.
2: Belen Bilgich Schneider.
1: There we go. Bill gets the hard G. Yeah. I, uh, Van Wingerden as a last name makes me pretty sensitive to not wanting to mangle other people's names. Uh, yeah. It's fair. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 we all we all endure it, some of us more than others. So.
0: You mean it's a hard G, Chris? It's not Van Wingerden.
1: It's uh, so my my grandfather would actually say for Wingerden. Go figure.
0: Ah. Um. Yeah. Well. Anyway, there you yeah. have it. There we go. (laughs) Our elders always know best. I'm going to I'm going to call you that from now on.
1: Elder. (laughs) All
0: All
1: righty. Um, Yeah. So we've been rambling a bit here, uh, as we seem to sometimes do. It's that darn music. It makes us um, it makes us a little jumpy. Although I will also say it's the syrup in the coffee. Um, gives, us, gives us a little latitude, a little leeway, a little flexibility. Anyway, happy Wednesday morning, everybody. We've got a, a nice gathering of folks here with us. Um, and since we have officially named our two guests today, maybe we'll give them each a second to uh, introduce themselves. Um, maybe we'll start with Gus because he's dancing around uh, in his stand-up office. We'll, we'll give Gus a, a, a chance to, to introduce himself there first, and then we'll, then we'll switch over to Balin.
3: All right. Hello, everybody. I'm Gus Pristera. I'm an organizational effectiveness consultant. I'm a coach. I'm an educator. Uh, I'm an adjunct professor down at American University. I teach change management courses there. Uh, My consulting practice is primarily focused on Fortune 500 companies, working uh, with their HR departments, their training departments, with business leaders on helping them to drive uh, organizational change. And we do that through a number of different uh, services. I'll give you the the little brochure here. (laughs) Uh, There's uh, onboarding, training, development, um, uh, leadership development, as well as professional development, and then just change management uh, overall. So those are the kind of things that we we focus on. And so because of that, we do a lot of work in the area of, of change communications, as well as training, as well as development. So we uh, Belen and I tend to work and collaborate a lot on building a lot of different types of materials, uh, everything from posters and tent cards to you know, brochures like that one, uh, to e-learning modules, uh, workshops, um, whatever interventions we we can uh, <laughs> hop in there and do. Surveys, reports. Um, at the same time, we also you know help with compensation plans and reward systems and all sorts of other stuff that. Uh, sometimes isn't as pretty, but is is just as important.
1: Very cool. Um, And Belen, maybe you, I mean, we obviously see that there's a connection in the work that you do with Gus, but uh, throw in other parts there that uh, I guess tell tell folks, you know, a bit about yourself and uh, how how you got here.
2: Yeah. So uh, I actually started working with Gus in 2006, uh, and I had done a little bit of work with Paul Schneider, who uh, is associated Mm -hmm. with you guys uh, prior to that. Uh, and, uh, I kind of came in as a graphic designer and a multimedia developer, but over time, uh, kind of through all of the industry stuff, uh, you know, I'm a creative director now, but I also do instructional design and a lot of information architecture and coaching and all of that good stuff. Um, in addition to that, I kind of take those skills and I use them. I'm a partner in a, Uh, automotive, uh, online marketing company. And so I kind of help with their HR and their manager coaching and, um, kind of any of the other performance stuff that small companies never can pay for. I, I can kind of step in and and help with that. Um, and then a lot of, uh, wildlife photography and sort of amateur naturalist stuff too. So I, uh, I get to apply my skills in all sorts of fun places. (laughs)
1: It's very cool the crossovers that people have. I mean, uh, lots of folks that pull in pieces from other things, and yet there's a you know a connecting of the dots across all of those things: graphic design into instructional design, and uh, you know photography, and then the fact that we work in companies
3: then gives us experience to be able to help people in other ways too. So that's very Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Should also add to to uh, Belen's resume there. She's one of the best people managers I've ever worked with. I, <laughs> I work with a lot of executives and senior leaders and mid-level leaders as well. Uh, but uh, Belen is is just amazing in terms of being able to work with people, coach them, develop them. uh, And and sometimes, you know, some of the most difficult kinds of relationships in the workplace, she's been able to manage really well. You know, she's managed graphic designers and developers and instructional designers and project managers and gotten everybody to play nice together on project teams. Uh, And uh, it's just uh, amazing to see her uh, work in that context. She doesn't, stretch those muscles nearly enough as I think, but, uh, uh, you know, th- between that and the creative side and and the, all the other stuff that she does, it's, it's why we refer to her as the goddess on our- <laughs> the goddess. Whenever there's an issue, we say, let's, let's check with the goddess, see what she has to say. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, uh, speaking of,
1: I guess checking with the goddess, um, we do have an official uh, topic for today. Uh, give me context, or give me death—death death by PowerPoint. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll throw it over to you guys to, I guess, uh, to set us up a little bit about what we're gonna what we're gonna co- work through here today.
3: Yeah. So when when Belen and I um, start projects, you know, whether it's an instructional design project or something similar to an instructional design project you know, there, we start off with some source content and, and clients start sending us stuff. And a lot of times the those stuff that they send us is in decks. Uh, and those decks consist of a lot of bulleted text. If we're lucky, sometimes it's paragraphs of text. I'm sure you guys have all seen that. Uh, or we- Never get, had uh, that happen. Documents, <laughs> manuals and things like that. And uh, we need to turn that into something, right? Whether it's change communications uh, or, it's, or it's, it's training programs, workshops, e-learning, whatever it happens to be, or a website. Uh, There's a lot of content design that we have to do uh, once we have a strategy and we are moving towards building something that we're going to put out into the world. And uh, uh, so we have a lot of experience working with content and trying to transform that content into something that is meaningful to the audience, right? Uh, Not just meaningful, but meaningful, like full of meaning, you know, to, to maximize the experience for people so that you know if we only have a half an hour with somebody we make the most of the half an hour if we only have an hour two hours half a day a whole day whatever it is it's usually not enough so whatever it is we want to maximize the experience and speed up the time to proficiency right because we if we had unlimited time and resources well we could use those stacks of of, of bulleted text deck and and we could take those those manuals and we could, we could make use of it and eventually people would learn what they need to learn. But we very rarely have unlimited time so we have to speed up the learning process. And so we've learned a few tricks along the way of how to do that. Um, it's not mysterious stuff. It's probably stuff that most of you are already aware of, but we wanna talk through some of that and the techniques we use to, to, to transform the content and what that can look like when we're finished. Very, very cool. That's it. Um, <laughs> That's it. That little I lost my audio
0: there. I was all that. Like that triggered a whole bunch of different thoughts in my head. But um, you know, when I instructional design can be so many different things. Kind of connecting to the idea of um, you know of uh, of you know different people coming in to the instructional design world, the training world with different um skill sets i think one of the reasons why that happens is because there's so many different ways you can create instructional content and and create something that can be seen as an and as as instructional some some sort of either digital artifact or even a physical real artifact and then there's the events and the things that you can create the real world activities and the experiences there's just such a vast you know area now of 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 instructional like uh i guess um you know i don't know different different things to cover Yeah, opportunity. opportunity thank you that's yeah, what i was looking for yeah there we go yeah a lot we've been doing this a long. we're finishing each other yeah yeah
3: so yeah, yeah.
0: You know, we, right. I think your bandwidth is kind of going a little wonky there, Chris, because we lost your video and your audio is now a little choppy too.
1: Oh, grand. That's always fun, isn't it? Technology. Um, let me know. Chris went to visit Al. Let me know if I come back.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> while you're while you're doing that. I just, that, he, I just yeah, assumed yeah. he was getting coffee. He yeah. <laughs> so had to go I for go. a
0: refill. And and Jonathan, you missed uh, you missed the Elf commentary. Oh no, I think it was Elf though that we were talking about. But Elf, Elf, you know, two funny shows.
3: Elf was know, good but, too. Yes. So <laughs> one of the
2: other one of the other things about what we try to do is if you think about the worst uh, learning that you've ever had to endure, and even like the the most trite and horrifying self help books and resources. It's so easy to talk in platitudes and in generalizations and to find the perfect like 10-word summary for the thing that you want to convey. But that doesn't help anybody trying to learn it. What helps people trying to learn Mm -hmm. things is context. (laughs) You know, we put words in their mouths. We, uh, you know, try to get as close to a real life situation as possible. Um, we throw them metaphorically in the deep end and we ask them how they'd respond or what they think or, you know, what they think should happen next. Um, the more real you can make it for the person sitting there trying to absorb the material, The more context you give them, the easier it is for them to map what you're asking them to do to the thing that they need to get done. Um, You know, Hallmark cards are not going to get the job done. You got to get them, you know, knee deep in the middle of a mud pit and hand them a shovel, (laughs) however, that shovel ends up looking.
3: Yeah. And with that, I'd like to show you a couple of examples. Just to kind of, since we are talking about context and context, all about giving people examples, right? Real working examples that they can use to organize memories in their mind. And, uh, examples also help to manage cognitive load and I'll do all sorts of wonderful things. So, um,
0: Absolutely. I'll go ahead and drop out and then I'll give you a space to, to add the video share. And then Chris will just invite me back and I'll be in the chat. Uh, you know, um, so it's, it's not that I go away. You just want to get into trouble.
2: (laughs) Good luck.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this one here. All right. So this one here has got a couple little examples here, but um, basically in this e-learning module, we one of the things that we did was it, it, rather than just explaining things, you know, we certainly explain stuff. You kind of have to explain concepts and best practices, but we also tried to provide examples. And so in, in this particular screen here. Uh, we're saying you know when writing tasks and we have a little checklist here and people click on these checklists uh, For the uh, best practices, but then over on the right hand side We show them actual examples of here's what okay would look like and here's what better would look like in some cases We you know if we're able to we show what okay looks like what better looks like what best looks like in other contexts We might show you know here's what bad looks like because <laughs> you know, Maybe that's just as important uh, as showing them what good is, especially when we're trying to sh- change behaviors, right? But it, with new behaviors, when people don't really have a lot of bad habits because it's not something that we've done before, then maybe we don't have to show them as much of the bad and we can focus more on the, what is good, better, and better, best look like. Um, so that you know, with providing concrete examples, um, they can now begin to organize that in their brain much more easily and much more quickly than if we were just talking about uh, uh, an abstract concept and trying to explain what does it mean to remain objective, right? And what does it mean to remain objective in the context of writing a performance evaluation? You know, that can mean a lot of different things to different people. So giving them an example helps us very quickly zero in on the meaning, right? And, and so it reduces the ambiguity that, that people might otherwise have. Um, to show another quick example here. So this one is a little animated piece. Very simple one that was created in PowerPoint. Then um, you can see, you know, everybody's heard of writing smart objectives, but what does writing smart objectives mean? People will define what the five uh, pieces of the acronym mean, and that's about as much as as far as we get. But in this case, what we've done is, you know, we've we've shown it, we've shown it to them that it's not just a concept, but it's a process. Writing a smart objective doesn't just spring up out of the ground; it's a process that you go through. So we walk them through the process, explaining the steps in the process, but also giving them, walking them through an example. Oops, sorry. So, um, so, so the examples help, to help people understand the process and help them see it as a process. And a lot of what we teach really is a process. We don't go from zero to 80 without have, first having gone through a bunch of other things. And a lot of times in our training, when we're t- training a, uh, on a concept, We skip over all that stuff and we don't show people how to get from point A to point B. We assume that because it's a concept that it's not a process when, in fact, most concepts, when they're translated into the workplace, become processes. You know, writing a a thesis or writing a, a business case is not just a thing. It's a process. Right. And we have to take them through it step by step and and show them examples of it. So that from a mm-hmm.
2: yeah, sorry, from a graphics perspective too, I mean, we use I, we call it putting words in their mouth, right? Um, to to take um, a static flat situation and to um, add these speech bubbles or more elegant versions of speech bubbles. Um, when I'm working with graphic designers, um, it's rare for us in any sort of learning to have just pretty stock images. For the most part, we're overlaying um, either thoughts or words that that those stock images might be encountering. Particularly if it's two people on a screen having a conversation, um, you know, making sure that part of what you're giving them in that visual feed is uh, is the context. And by putting those words, those speech bubbles, those thought bubbles, um, you know, in place around, you know, pretty stock images, you transform them from being eye candy to being something that becomes directly relevant to the way that they do business, the the situations that they find themselves in. Um, And it adds just that extra little bit of culture and reinforcement and examples um, that they can anchor into regardless of what you're talking about. Um, we find it a really um, easy and, and accessible visual trick that kind of escalates something from eye candy up to something that's, that's actually instructional.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, you can give people a concept and that's a really big, broad thing. Um, but by bringing in concrete examples, you're actually helping them narrow that focus down to the bullseye, maybe at the center of, of that large target. That, uh, uh, and, and the second thing that, that occurs to me is that giving people a few examples helps them then be able to recognize similar things to those examples. It's not just that these are three things and the exact three three things, but being able to uh, recognized then oh that's like that and therefore uh, you know this fits the pattern that they can then extrapolate out in the real world because Lord knows we can't give them uh, you know a response to every particular situation etc the you know the goal being we want to empower them to be able to 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 do it themselves to apply it back on so that's that's really cool yeah, stuff
3: yeah. and it's nothing new right I mean Dave Merrill when I was when I was just starting off in the field I, I remember attending a session with Dave Merrill and you know he's one of the founding Fathers and mothers of our field, and um, you know, I remember him asking the question to this, this group of, um, of instructional designers. So, you know, what is the first principle, the first, the very most basic thing that we do as instructional designers? How do we help people learn? How do we accelerate learning? Um, and his answer was through examples. Examples and non-exemplars. Exemplars and non-exemplars are are the basic foundational tool of all instructional design. Is basically his point. This was 20 years ago um, and something that he had figured out, you know, 20 or 30 years before that. So it, it wasn't um, it's not nothing new, but we oftentimes don't don't take the time to, uh, to to do that. The second thing, which is another type of an example I'm going to talk about is the artifact. So showing people not just uh, not just not just like the, the words that you might use or a situation that you might be in, but actu- the actual artifacts that you'll be working with. So in this case, what you're seeing on screen is a few a few screens put together here, where we had a, a video based course where we were um, we were trying to teach people how we were trying to teach uh, evaluators how to evaluate performance and a performance based assessment that um, that they were doing for their coworkers, right? For actually managers doing it for financial advisors. So the financial advisor. Uh, is this person here on the left in the video? And then these other two people uh, that are next to us here—they are other two other evaluators. So there's three evaluators that are that 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 normally do conduct this exercise in the real world. And uh, so we watch a video, and they act out what a scene from a a, a a a an evaluation session might look like. And we, as the learner, are the third evaluator. And so then. What follows then is an exercise where we use the same evaluation criteria and the same format um, that we would have in front of us when we we're doing this evaluation to evaluate this performance, right? And so over here on the on the right hand side, um, we we have we you know we've entered our score and now we're able to compare our score against Mike's score and Paula's score, these other two evaluators, and then get an explanation for why they why they scored the person the way they did. Right. And then you move on to the move on through this exercise to the next piece, which is to provide commentary, you know, that you would fill out in an evaluation form. You would provide some commentary. And so here we have a list of uh, options there on the left. And we drag the comments that we think are relevant to this particular video. We drag them over to the right hand side, in this case to, to comment on strength. There's also one to comment on development opportunities and so we drag those over and then those get scored and we get feedback on what what should we have seen what should we have spotted in that particular situation and uh, and so so not only are we, are we you know we're we using a real life context right we're, we're showing what behavior the, the behaviors look like we're helping people walk through it in kind of a simulated way but then we're also helping them use the the real world artifacts that they would be using uh, when that they will be using when they go out and, and do this for real, for realsies. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Even a business plan, yeah. like that we you get to evaluate a business plan or, or a real business plan that was created here for this particular uh, exercise, and, and, and give feedback on it. It's the kind of stuff that you would be doing in in the real world. And these are not complex simulations. This is just you know some video uh, with some with some thought to how can we make this as real as possible.
2: Yep. Rather than just putting it up on screen, we try really hard with anything that's that's artifact-based to give them a chance to interact with it. No matter how small, it doesn't have to be a full-blown simulation, um, finding those key ways to get to what do you need them to do. Um, or the the bigger question that we end up getting to is what are the most critical things that people miss? Um, you know where are they falling down? And we dive into those and really pull for whatever artifacts we can uh, that help reinforce where we need them to be.
1: Right. Um, and before we jump uh, off from that, one of the thoughts that I was having as I was watching as, as you were, as you guys were working through that is um, I'm wondering. So, one of the challenges is moving from that bloody deck of stuff yeah. or the documents that the that the team that the client sends you to actually getting this real world you know stuff out of them, which is really where the you know the value of instructional design yeah. uh, the role of it comes from is 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 bridging that, moving it into. Uh, something that's much more effective, et cetera. Um, any tips or, or, or things to share with people for helping people, you know, the SMEs that you're working with or, or, or clients or whatever, to be able to actually
2: our, get
1: that stuff out, out yeah, of Yeah, our next know?
2: example actually dives right into that. So hang with us for just a second. Oh. We're on it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, yeah, it, yeah. it's hard because, well, even in this this particular example, this is a presentation I did with a CHRO. Um, and like most people, you know, he's he's consumed like most subject matter experts, he's consumed with the content, right? And he's focused on content and he can rattle off this stuff for days. Um, but you know, I sat down with him and we did an exercise to, to really pull out what are the things that we want to show people um, in this particular presentation. And so we eventually came out with this solution set. So we, we you know we started kind of like abstracting, you know, go, you know, taking what he's got and getting out of the weeds and pulling it and, and going up to 30,000 feet. Um, And then we come back down from 30,000 feet to say, okay, let's not focus on what the content is here, but let's actually start with context. Let's start with an example. And so for each of these, we start with an example. So collateral and signage. Let's show them a picture of the posters that we created. And now let's speak to that. right? So people can see what we're talking about and, yeah, you know, the same with the other uh with the other items in here right so we show them examples of what the things are and can speak to what we did or what we asked people to do and that sort of thing uh, and that that helped not only helped me it helped him focus and it helped the audience as well right so but it but it helped him as a presenter to organize his thoughts to say okay i don't have to go in and explain all the concepts and theories i can just go in and show them something and then speak to that. And my life's a little bit easier. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. Having the, having the concrete thing there and then, you know, backing up from it rather than boring people or, or, you know, potentially anyway, putting a whole pile of stuff. And then, you know, here, here it is, um, is actually, you know, pretty good hook too, right? People see something real and then they want to know how to get there. Yep. Um, as opposed to flooding them with perhaps overwhelming them with things that don't have, oh, here's the word context yeah. um, that they, that they need. So yeah. yeah. maybe then cool. can,
3: can take this one here and uh, talk you through how, how she worked with a subject matter expert here who again was an HR person and an expert um, and full of information.
2: <laughs> yeah. We had, uh, you know, HR we had, and we were talking about things like, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking out now, (laughs) Uh, performance uh, issues. We were talking about having to uh, terminate people. We were talking about uh, all sorts of sticky HR topics and trying to help managers uh, use the system uh, that was in place to support them. Uh, so what they gave me was 313 uh, slides that were very, very HR legalese covering all the bases at the super, you know, high and detailed levels. And we were creating a workshop. What we were trying to do is help these managers uh, get their hands around how to handle these these super sticky situations. Um, and we got it down to uh, 27 interactive slides that took 70% of the seat time. Um, and what we did was, you know, we really, really focused on, and I kept asking the questions like we've got six and a half hours to help these people get better at their job. So where are they falling down? Where are we seeing gaps? Where, um, where, where in the process, help me understand the process and then help me understand every spot that you think people are, are tripping over themselves. Um, it was an established process. It was having some changes, but generally speaking, they had an HR department that, uh, had all sorts of, uh, you know, performance plans in their hands. They had all sorts of, uh, you know, documentation around, um, these big HR issues that people were having and how it had to be managed. So we had artifacts out the wazoo. And we actually asked the client and worked with them to um, kind of identify, you know, where could we use case studies or here's the kinds of case studies um, around these issues that we're having. Um, you know, one of the things was they had to, um, you know, fill out this document capturing everything that was going wrong. But before they did that, they had to decide it was time to do something, right? Like there's the manager managing it in isolation, and then there's reaching out to this global HR team for support. Um, and so even something as simple as a, you know, that, that quiz over there is a, a, Drag is, was a, an activity where we would show a situation up on screen and we would ask them, you know, do you continue individually, you know, just doing your thing as a manager or do you open a case to get support on this? Um, and we walked them through these examples. It could be a drag and drop if it was, you know, in some sort of e learning course. Um, but what we did was this was based on decision making and it was very co- specific contexts um, of these real life situations that you run into as a manager with HR issues um you know so that was one key point that deciding to open a case was a critical point so let's create something around that and and use real examples as you know kind of the context that we were pulling from um another one was we have this you know process where we open the case we capture all of the documentation around the situation and what led up to it. Well, it turns out that writing some of those key pieces of that documentation was another place that managers just really fell down. They didn't know what it was supposed to look like. So we gave them a case file um, where we said, you know, here's the background that you have. No, go write up your case about it. Um, And we gave them a chance to work in partners and give each other feedback. And then kind of as a class, you know, they gave examples and, and kind of talked about where people landed on it. Um, and another place that we knew they were falling down or really struggling was who wants to deliver the corrective action decision, right? Like, that's no fun. You're going to have a, a really frustrated and unhappy employee sitting in front of you and you've got to say the right things. Um, so we had them role play that and we asked the person who was playing the employee to be a little difficult and to not make it, you know, super understanding and easy. Um, giving them a chance to actually form the words themselves, and to you know present what they what they you know needed to present, and get the practice of being nervous and and tripping over yourself, and you know kind of getting all that out of their systems um, in this workshop, uh, so that they could see other people doing it as well. Um, you know, part of the problem as a manager is you never see anybody else doing these difficult things. Um, so we really tried to create um, a situation where they were having lots of opportunities to, to try these things um, and to get feedback on them. Um, and we got to these key points for them because we just kept asking the client how much of this content that's, you know, legalese can we give them in advance and how much can we, you know, pretty please work with examples that you guys can pull together for us um, and kind of fit in this structure that we're building. Um, and the client loved it. They were so receptive to it. Um, you know, they had a, a an idea in mind of where they thought this was going to go. But the more questions I asked, that were specific to. Um, where are people falling down? Where are they having trouble? What kind of artifacts do we have? You know, do we have examples of, you know, the kinds of decisions that they have to make? Um, And, you know, we worked with three or four different people um, in their extended team to kind of get those examples together and to kind of pick the best of them and then to narrow them down so that we could focus um, and, and not get too overwhelmed. But we covered a lot of really sticky topics with Very pragmatic, real-world examples—you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly—and and and I think people had a real opportunity to, um, you know, get get kind of an eyeful of what it could look like and how they could respond.
1: Very cool. Uh, It's it's prompting a couple of thoughts uh, for me. First of all, modeling is such uh, an important thing to provide. Uh, Again, it's about that target. It's about narrowing it down so that you can see something. Um, and therefore, have something at least to emulate, if not to elaborate on. Um, and, and that whole aspect of, of making content that's built around decisions that people are making—that's a real opportunity to bring in the, the informational piece of stuff as part of the feedback loop, et cetera, rather than that whole "here's the stuff and now you're going yeah. to you know apply it." But you know, it, it really. It, and then, and it contextualizes because it's feedback to something that someone has done. It ties in faster to long-term memory because now they've got a framework to hang it on, as opposed to having seen it as bullets on a on a PowerPoint before they actually, uh, you know, went to do something. So I'm going to bring Brent back in.
3: And why are you doing that? Let me add to that. Uh, when we first started that project, or and Belen started working with that subject matter expert, um, what they told us is that prior to this. It was taking them about four or five days to deliver this content and the feedback they were getting from from the audience, which, you know, made up was made up of managers, um, was that at the end of it, they didn't really feel like they could go out and have performance conversations with their employees or do any of the things that we thought were important (laughs) from a skill standpoint. Um, they maybe they could rattle off policies and things like that, but because that's was the, the focus was so much on content, on the content of the policies. What are the policies? And what are the rules, right, and the guidelines, the best practices? That's what the instructor spent four or five days covering. and at the end of it, and they had exercises. and you know they, they did all the things that instructional designers are supposed to do, right? They had objectives at the front, they they organized the content nicely they presented it effectively, they had exercises to, to test whether or not people were retaining what they learned. But the problem was that what they were learning wasn't really the thing that was gonna help them do their job. And it's the context that really helps you do your job, right? That's the, the so, it, so by contextualizing the content, uh, Belen was able to do that. Another trick that she used was um, that 30% that was content, you know, that was not interactive content. She used infographics to to consolidate a lot of content that otherwise would have taken a lot more a lot more slides and a lot more um, time in the classroom Um, she was able to to consolidate that uh, organize it in a visual way so that it could be covered more quickly in a way that people would get more 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 readily um, and move stuff into job aids and move stuff into participant guides content And so there's a lot of negotiating with the subject matter expert to take things that the subject matter expert thought of as sacred cows and put them into other places where they were less, where they didn't take up class time so that she could free up time to be able to spend 70 percent on interactive exercises. Right. And that's that's a tough that's a tough thing to do. I I always tell uh, instructional designers don't argue with a subject matter expert as to whether or not something's important. You, as the instructor, (laughs) find a way to move that content somewhere else where you know, as the instructional designer, it's not going to eat up a lot of time and energy right and it's yeah. not I just kept
2: to I just kept approach. asking I just kept asking the question listen do you want them spending their time on this or do you want us to spend time on this other thing and inevitably they're like mm-hmm. we want them to be hands on this is amazing stuff i'm like all right well help me figure out how to shift this stuff one way or another so that we can uh create the time to do the hands on stuff that that people are learning from mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah. I'm, I'm reminded somewhat of um, Kathy Moore's in instructional design model of starting with the oh, yeah. uh, the behavior change that's going to contribute to the organizational change or improvement, and then from that working backwards to the things that people know, need to know to be able to achieve that, as opposed to the t- typical "here's all the info, now go out and do it" Yeah, yeah. a yeah. lot in of parallels
3: doing. What do people need to know? And that's the wrong right. question to start with. Yeah. yeah exactly. What do they need
2: to do? <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. yeah totally. and, and what are the topics? Yeah. Right. I, I, I've outlawed the word topics from the conversation. <laughs> All right. So you don't talk about topics. right? We talk about behaviors and uh, yeah. And, and learning objectives. You know, we call them learning objectives. But in, back in the old days, they were called performance objectives. It was, only, it was only, why we, did change we change that? We are calling them learning objectives and we treat them like learning objectives, saying this person's going to be aware of this. This person's going to be able to describe the policy. Who cares?
2: How do you <laughs> but, use it?
3: <laughs> to, to yeah. create a course.
2: Well, we acquired
0: that from but, academia, didn't we? Uh, you know, I mean, because it, they had to they were the yeah. ones that created all of the instructional design stuff anyways. And since it's, there isn't really a job that students are doing like in higher ed and whatnot, the learning is the only instructional objective that they end up coming up with a lot of times. Now that's kind of changing a little bit.
3: Yeah. it's, it's
0: like We borrowed the it from instructors.
3: Them. I mean, I, I work in academia as well. And um, like I designed a, a change management course and I started with what the, what, does a change management project look like? What would a change uh, advocate do in the context of a change project? Well, they would identify a need, an organizational need. They would do some analysis on that need. They'd have to come up with a business case. They'd have to present it to potential sponsors and get a green light. And then if they got the green light, then they need to put together some sort of a strategy for how they're gonna get this change implemented in the organization. So guess what? We built the whole course around that process right? And the objectives all have to do with those behaviors. Um, And the people I was working with are like, this is very strange. We don't normally, you know, work with professors to do this kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm not like, I'm not like most professors, you know, (laughs) 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 strange, but, but it shouldn't be so odd. It shouldn't be so strange because most of what um, most of these, you know, graduate level and undergraduate level courses are all, you know, they're all designed to teach you a skill. That you would use in the the workplace even your math courses are are teaching you skills that you could use in the workplace like i still to this day can't tell you what derivatives are for because my math teachers never explained what derivatives how they're used in the real world i'm sure they are i'm sure they're important um but i to this day i don't know when and where i would ever come across a need to use derivatives and so if you don't understand the need in the first place (laughs) then how could you possibly make you you know not only make use of the content you're learning but actually even care enough to want to learn derivative right if you don't see any real world application for it and frankly our, our, our college students they are adult learners right undergrads even high schoolers are should should i mean i think they should be treated like adult learners you know back in like third fourth grade frankly but but certainly by the time they're in high school they are adult learners they're acting very much like adult learners rejecting content they're not interested in that they don't see relevance in. and and teachers need to adapt to that right they need to they, they need to help establish context and the better ones do that already right
0: good point good point what about some quick tips as we approach sort of the end of our time together? Um, you know, what, what quick, you guys nailed so many different really critical points just by showing that example. But if we were to just kind of either recap that or add something that maybe we didn't actually touch on.
3: Yeah, I mean, it changed th- the conversation at the end of the day, right? We, you're, when you're working with a client, if you're trying to sell your services, Uh, right from the beginning, you need to be talking about what are the organizational problems you're trying to solve, uh, what are the skill gaps that you're trying to close, what does it look like in the real world when this is done right, or what does it look like now when it's not being done right, right? And get to critical incidents. If not during the sales process, and certainly when you're working with your subject matter experts, you have to change the conversation. That starts from the very first conversation, asking about critical incidents, instead of asking about topics instead of asking what people need to know ask them what do people need to do do differently and get to the context right and ask be curious about what does it look like can we role play that can you show me what an example of what that is that document that you just rattled off this tool that you mentioned that you use show it to me let me see it hey can i use that in the course that would be great I, you know tell me more and, and you, when you get subject matter experts talking about real world incidents and, and problems and artifacts and examples, they get excited. It's hard me not to, you know? <laughs> they're gonna get excited either way. It just, what are they gonna get excited yeah. about? You have the opportunity it's, to direct the conversation towards context. It's
2: a, and, yeah, it's a lot like having a conversation with someone. If someone is really interested in you and asking you questions and engaged and leaning in and tell me more, you're going to respond to that. I mean, you might run away, but most people are going to sit forward and be like, well, I like to do this. And it's the same thing with your SMEs. Um, if you, if you start asking those questions about, well, how does this get done? And where do people trip over themselves? And the more engaged you are in those kinds of questions, understanding how it works behind the scenes, not just absorbing the content that they want to feed you, um, they get into it, they start thinking about it differently, um, and you get very different conversations than if you're just trying to be a sponge and soak in what they're trying to feed you. Because um, what they've prepared for is what do they need to cover, and what you're trying to get to is how is how is the end learner doing anything with this? Um, so you really need both sides uh, to kind of uh, extract the process.
3: And- and not all oh, cool. instructional designers have blend skill in designing cool. graphics and making things look beautiful. Um, not all of them have the skills in making, and in creating interactivity that makes it work really well. And so I think sometimes instructional designers are intimidated by that, especially those working in the learning realm. And what I try to, to coach my instructional designers on is that I don't need you to be an expert on interactivity or graphics graphic design or user interface design or even user experience design. I, what I need you to be an expert is in the context, not the content. The, the me has knows the content. I need you to know the context. I need you to be able to communicate the re- to the rest of the team through your storyboards, through your conversations. Yeah. What is the context? If you can explain the context to an a graphic designer, they can help you create something really great. If you can explain yeah. the context to a programmer, they can help you create a simulation or simulation like exercise, um, or, or 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 create something new and different. Um, that is much more action-oriented, much more do-focused instead of what-focused. And uh, they can help you. They want to help you, and you're pushing them and challenging them to do to push beyond their skill set, their current skill set, by doing that. Um, but if you don't bring context to the table, then all they have to work with is a bunch of content. They're going to spit back at you a bunch of graphic rights mm-hmm. and graphic lefts and graphic ups and graphic downs and drag-and-drop exercises because that's, by default, what we do. So you you have to bring something different to the table and that something different and unique is always going to be that in the context. Yep. There's that word again. Very cool. (laughs) Guys, thanks
1: so much for uh, for joining us here today. This has been an awesome uh, amount of stuff. There's also been some really, really bad puns and stuff going on in the chat. (laughs) So shout (laughs) out. Shout out to our easily distracted audience that uh, <laughs> they're, they're bringing a different context to this conversation, I guess. But uh, anyway, um, some awesome stuff going on all around. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here today, guys. We'll uh, we'll run us uh, we'll run us out with a little bit of dancing.
0: So don't forget to drop your uh, oh, yeah. email in or your your URL into the chat so everybody knows where you guys uh, where you guys are and where people can get a hold of you or your LinkedIn profile, anything like that.
1: Very cool. Thanks, everybody. Thanks,
0: everybody. Have a great day. (laughs) Tell all your friends about idiotic.
3: (laughs) Thanks for being idiotic with us. Thanks for uh, allowing us to be idiotic with you. (laughs)